0: What's up, guys? I'm excited to have the glucose goddess herself join us today. Her book, Glucose Revolution, was not only an instant bestseller, but it was also translated into 30-plus languages. She takes complicated health topics and makes them easy to understand with tips and strategies that are super practical and easy to use immediately. Today, Jessie reveals how to manage your glucose without getting rid of carbs, the seemingly magical powers of apple cider vinegar, and why being skinny doesn't mean you're not at risk for disease. I hope you guys enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. And if you do, please leave a review on the podcast. It's the best way to support us so that we can help more people like you get this information and become truly legendary. I'm Tom Bilyeu, and welcome to Impact Theory.
1: If you do those things, and this is all Detailing in glucose revolution, you will fundamentally change the biochemistry of your body.
0: Jesse, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Tom, for having me.
0: I'm excited to have you, and I want to know what are foods that people, like the top foods that people should be eating that would help with losing weight and reducing inflammation?
1: Foods that contain fiber, so all vegetables. Fiber is amazing. She's a superhuman. Why? Because fiber is incredibly protective in your digestive system, especially in your gut lining, so in the intestinal walls, to reduce any glucose spikes from foods like starches and sugars that you might be eating. So we need to use fiber to our advantage. And Because
0: glucose is going to be the punchline problem?
1: Because avoiding glucose spikes is one really efficient way to go about making your health better, physical and mental. What
0: about fat loss? I know people care.
1: Yeah, so fat loss is definitely one of the consequences of keeping your glucose levels steady. However, you know, my work on teaching people about glucose is not a diet, and its primary objective is not mm. fat loss. Its primary objective is to help the 80-odd percent of the population who have glucose spikes every day avoid those spikes, so that cravings reduce, hunger reduces, energy goes back up. You feel better your body, your mind are thriving. Mm. A common consequence is fat loss, but that's not the primary angle that we're going after. We're going after health first.
0: And is that because you are more concerned about how people feel than how they look? Is that why? Because you're, you're going out of your way to be like, it's not about fat loss. People love that fat loss.
1: I know they love it, but I think there's a few things here. like The amount of fat you have on your body is not a very good representation of like your internal health. So some people who are not able to put on fat, yeah, some people who are not able to put on fat
0: mm-hmm. will
1: develop type 2 diabetes earlier on because fat is actually protective. Your body puts on fat to protect you. Every time you have a glucose spike, so a very rapid increase in blood sugar concentration, your body wants to get that level down. Mm. Your body does not want to keep you in a state of elevated glucose because that leads to inflammation, aging, insulin, like it's just a nightmare. So your body has a few techniques to take the excess glucose and store it away to protect you. And it puts the excess glucose in your liver, in your muscles, and in your fat cells. So your ability as a human to grow the size and number of your fat cells is a very good indication of how quickly you're going to develop type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. If you can put on a lot of weight, if you can store that glucose away into fat cells for a long amount of time, you're going to be protected for longer. If you are, for example, of Asian descent and you have a hard time growing the number and size of your fat cells, your glucose is going to be elevated faster. And that's why we see a lot of people who develop type 2 diabetes who are actually not that fat, but they have really high glucose and insulin levels just because they genetically cannot put on fat too quickly. Mm -hmm. So fat gain is actually a protection. So that's number one. I understand people want to lose fat, and that's a totally okay thing to want to do. But the way we're going about it often you just snap back. You lose a bunch of weight, you snap back, right? Because you're doing these extreme things like cutting calories really excessively or doing crazy diets. If we look at our glucose levels and we eat in a way that balances those spikes, a few things happen. One, we reduce how many cravings we have. Cravings are a big barrier to fat loss because people get these intense feelings for why I really want to eat a cookie. Then there's a whole cycle of guilt and shame and just the whole thing is like, quite damaging second when you balance your glucose levels your hunger hormones get tamed so you're no longer hungry every 90 minutes third thing when you balance your glucose levels your insulin levels come down and in order to lose fat your insulin levels have to be down so what i see in my community and the readers of my book is that when they focus on glucose first they sort of naturally lose fat as a side effect as a consequence but the primary objective is i want to feel better now I want to stop getting this chronic fatigue. I want to get my mental health back in shape. I want my sleep to be good. I just want to feel better. And also, I want to feel connected to my body. That's really the primary angle. Some people come at it from like, my skin is bad. I want to get my skin better. Other people come at it from, I'm having hormonal issues like PCOS, erectile dysfunction, whatever. They get to glucose, they steady that, and weight loss is a nice consequence.
0: Okay. So fiber, yeah. we're, we're going to be eating fiber. Yeah. We're going to protect the gut lining. Yeah. We're going to slow the absorption of glucose so that we're regulating our glucose response. What are some other things that we should be eating?
1: Protein is really important. Um, it's, it helps your body's digestion go a bit slower. So if you eat protein with carbs, the carbs will get more slowly into your intestine and then mm-hmm. slower into your bloodstream as well. Healthy fats are also important. So basically, you need to be thinking, I need to eat vegetables, I need to eat sources of proteins, sources of healthy fats. And then starches and sugars, which are the ones that contain glucose, they're fine to eat, but they're for taste. They're for pleasure. They're there because they're cheap to eat. They're everywhere. We like them. They're a nice social activity to make a big plate of pasta for your friends. But... They're really just mostly for pleasure purposes. Mm. And so the problem we're having these days in our society is that most people are eating just starches and just sugars, right? Because it's cheap, it's available, it makes you feel pleasure in your brain. But as a result, their glucose is completely all over the place. So I'm not in the camp of like completely cut out starches and sugars. I think that's unsustainable for most people. I don't think that's very fun because I love pasta and chocolate cake and I do not want to give it up. So what I teach people is these nice principles that allow you to still eat the starches and the sugars with less impact on your glucose and your health. Mm. So maximum pleasure, minimal impact on your body and your mind.
0: What about, I've heard you talk a lot about vinegar, which I've never really made my radar until reading your book. Why vinegar?
1: So it's really fascinating, Tom. So when I first came across these studies, I was like, this must be a fad. Like, this must be another, like internet wellness trend, like I just was very, very skeptical. Turns out there are quite a few like good randomized control trials showing that if you add a tablespoon of vinegar at the beginning of a meal, you can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by up to 30% without changing what you're eating. It's shocking. It is shocking, but is it really that shocking? Because in many cultures around the world, we've been having vinegar for a super long time. In Egypt, like ancient Egypt, they would make vinegar teas for people who had diabetes. Hmm. In Iran, they've been making apple cider vinegar so for generations. Nice. You know, it's like a it's just part of culture. So now we're understanding the scientific explanation for why it's helpful, but I think all of these things we've known culturally for a long time, but now we're able to see like how it actually affects the inside of the body.
0: How does it? What what's it actually doing? I'm assuming it has something to do with glucose.
1: It does. So, um In vinegar, there's this molecule called acetic acid. Acetic acid is the thing that does the work. So acetic acid does two, actually three main things. The first thing is that in your stomach, acetic acid inactivates alpha amylase, which is an enzyme that breaks down starches into glucose. So vinegar slows down the action of this enzyme, Mm. therefore slowing down how quickly starch gets broken down into glucose molecules. And so that means that glucose gets into your intestine more slowly, which is what we're here to do, right? We want to reduce the speed, velocity of the glucose getting into your bloodstream. Second thing that acetic acid does, it goes to your muscles and it tells your muscles to soak up glucose as it arrives into your bloodstream. Hmm. I wouldn't say it mimics exercise, but it kind of tells your muscles to soak up glucose more actively as if they were contracting. And third thing, acetic acid goes to your mitochondria and tells your mitochondria to burn more fat. So you have this amazing little molecule that acts instantly, by the way, like it's not something that you have to build it up over weeks. Like if today, your next meal, you just add a tablespoon of vinegar to it or you drink it in a tall glass of water, it will have an impact on your glucose levels right there and then.
0: So. Okay, now that we know the, the broad swath of things that people should be eating, actually, before we go too far down the vinegar thing, let's talk about food timing. That's one of the big punchlines of your book, and it ties directly into what we just talked about, which is the what you should eat. But even the order in which we eat things can have similar impacts to the things you just talked about. So walk me through how do we change up the order, which, by the way, since I know the punchline, I will say I actually did this. Today, really? yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe it has this kind of impact. So, um, How did you feel? This is one, I think, no different because I eat so clean already. Mm. So it wasn't a big departure for me. So it was instead of eating... Protein than vegetables, I uh, I don't want to give it away. Ah. So anyway, I'll, I'll tell people uh, You after, ruined it, I know, I know, it's terrible.
1: <laughs> okay, so in the scientific studies, here's what we see. We see that if we eat the consistence of a meal in a specific order, we can reduce the glucose spike of the meal by up to 75% mm. without changing what we're eating. 75
0: God, that's so, like, these numbers are really yeah. impressive.
1: Yeah, so we're not changing what we're eating, but if we change the order... We reduce the spike so significantly, which means less inflammation, less aging, you know, better hormone balance. I mean, we just feel much better. So the correct order is vegetables first, proteins and fats second, and starches and sugars last. The sugars last thing makes sense, you know, dessert is always usually last. Mm. And actually, when you think about it, the vegetables first thing. Culturally, like, this has been happening for a long time, especially in Europe. Like, in France, we have crudité first. In Italy, it's antipasti. In the Middle East, you know, they often have herbs by the bunch on the table before the Mm. meal starts. And the reason this works is because of that fiber in the vegetables. So the fiber goes from your stomach to your upper intestine. And there it kind of deploys itself like a transformer onto the walls of your intestine and makes this protective mesh this protective barrier, kind of like this gooey, gooey kind of thing. Did you ever
0: read the book, The Fiber Menace? No. So all of this stuff gets really interesting, very complex. One minute, it's bad. The next minute, it's good. So it's always hard to figure out what the mm-hmm. sort to of final track. word is. But The the Fiber Menace is a book that's like, hey, all these things about fiber that you think are good are yeah. actually bad. Like mm-hmm. even thinking about as I go through your book. I'm like this is really effective for people if you can't get them to stop eating a modern diet, but if you could get them to stop eating a modern diet, like, like just no starches, don't,
1: no sugars. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Like don't eat sugars or eat sugar or eat um like berries and things where from an ancestral standpoint, we only would have been able to eat a lot of fruit like in the fall yeah. right before we need to fatten up for the winter mm-hmm. to survive, so you actually want to get fat. And so it's like Does fiber work because it's good for you? And it's like nature's way of saying, hey, you can have your cake and eat it too. Mm. Or is it actually causing a problem? It's stopping the digestion of things you're eating. It's creating a barrier that's stopping you from absorbing nutrients. And it just so happens that since most people have access to so many calories and they're Mm. eating the wrong kinds of calories for the most part, that fiber sort of accidentally will help you but in reality, it's creating problems. Now, again, that's, that's not so necessarily what I believe. I don't know what to believe. So my thing is I, and I think, actually, I'm going to wait and see your processing, which I like.
1: I actually really, I, I like, I really like what you're saying because fiber is only really useful in the context of other bad stuff that you're eating. Well, mm-hmm. I don't want to say bad, but like other things that could cause problems. So I'll like. say bad. Okay, so People can
0: throw the shade at me.
1: Okay, cool. So imagine, like, you take a piece of fruit, yep. right? So fruit has a bunch of glucose and fructose, and fructose is not something you want a lot of Nature's in your candy. diet. Exactly. But since there's fiber in there, it's less bad for you. And actually, if you look at ancestral fruit from, like, millions of years ago, they have mm. way more fiber in them. Like, way, 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 way more. There's a photo in my book of, um, showing ancestral banana versus banana these days. that has been bred for centuries, you know, mm. wolves into chihuahuas, ancestral bananas into these things. So the fiber is helpful today in modern fruits because it helps combat some of the bad side effects of eating so much sugar. Mm -hmm. But I I kind of I think I think you have a really good point. Like, fiber first is only really important if you're going to eat starches and sugars later. If you're in a context of already not eating much starches and sugars, the order is much less important.
0: Okay. So going into glucose. So this is my, I'm obsessed with glucose. So I I come from a morbidly obese family. I used to be about 60 pounds heavier than I am now. And I remember when I first got married, Lisa hates when I tell this story. So I want to be very clear. My (laughs) wife has always loved me, supported me. It's been amazing. But there was a period in our lives where she was very nervous that I was going to have very poor habits and Mm -hmm. end up with a physique that was moving in the wrong direction. And so I was eating less than I'd ever eaten. I was hungry all the time and I was getting fat. And I was like, what is going on? Oh. Because I was doing a low fat, high carb diet.
1: So you felt like fucking crap.
0: Felt terrible. Yeah. I was wildly inflamed. Of course, I didn't know that. Wouldn't have even known to use you that were word back fast then. fast too. Correct. And it was not good. And so thankfully at that point, I'm like, whoa, I know where this leads because of my family struggles. I really need to learn about nutrition. At first, of course, I attack it from an exercise standpoint. I'm just trying to exercise my way there. As I'm sure this audience has heard a thousand times, you can't outrun a bad diet. So it was like, that wasn't really working, but that actually did show me that I could put on muscle, which was quite exciting. And going through that and starting to learn about this thing at the time, Atkins and low carb. And I was like, okay, let me try this thing. It was transformative. Mm. It was total fucking misery clicking over to where i was no longer addicted to sugar and so that took about three weeks i remember lisa and i getting in a huge argument because i was like if i eat a cookie right now i'll feel better and she's like then eat the cookie but stop complaining and i was like oh man but i really want to get to the other side of this and so i didn't eat the cookie and it it took three weeks but i woke up one morning and now i would know what i was doing was burning ketones but I just felt like, whoa, I feel different all of a sudden. I don't feel like anything is missing. I don't have this weird relationship to hunger. And it, it was literally one morning I woke up and just felt radically different. And I was so like, you
1: had amazing. stopped cold turkey, all carbs?
0: A hundred percent. Other than vegetables, yeah. but like not starchy, no potatoes, like broccoli, yeah. green beans, that kind of stuff. Wow. And so and that's one thing. I'm going to see how many people I can piss off right now. So I think that people often they like they will get triggered by me saying, uh, hey, wearing a continuous glucose monitor is awesome. I think everybody should do it. I've even heard you say that maybe not everybody should wear one. I'm like, people should wear one at least for like a month to see how what you eat does to you. And if you're willing to experiment, you will find the path forward. It won't be fun. People can I can predict all the things that people are gonna hit in terms of if you've got gut issues, which I've been through with my wife, here's what that's gonna look like. If you uh, are addicted to sugar, here's what that's gonna look like. Here are all the places that sugar's hiding. You're gonna have to figure all that shit out. And then, by the way, you're gonna have to start judging how it impacts your body because there's no one size fits all. It's gonna be different for everybody. So what, like you were talking about, people I would call skinny fat where they don't have the adipose tissue, but they have all the biomarkers of somebody Absolutely. that is, has a terrible diet.
1: For the CGM, the continuous glucose monitor piece, I would say two things. I would say one, if you're going to wear a CGM and you listen to this, buy my book, Glucose Revolution, and read it because it will give you the context that will allow you to understand what's happening and make the changes to Write keep your glucose level steady.
0: What is the context?
1: The context is what is glucose? How, why these glucose spikes you're seeing are harming your body? Okay, what are they doing on the actual biological level? Like, what's happening? Second, 10 really simple principles that allow you to avoid these glucose spikes without needing to go cold turkey like you because you're hardcore. And then, third, what are the pitfalls to not fall into? Because if you wear a CGM and you're just optimizing for your glucose, Mm. you could actually drink. A shit ton of alcohol, Mm. eat a bunch of unhealthy fatty foods, and stop exercising because you're gonna see that if you do those three things, your glucose levels are flatter. So That's a brilliant point. So yes, it's important. It's an amazing lens through which to understand your body and it's really, it's really powerful. But you need to do it right because you can do it wrong. Like I did vegan wrong when I was younger and I only ate pasta and Oreos. Like I did. (laughs) Yeah, because they're amazing. vegan, right? Pasta
0: and Oreos. Pasta and Oreos. Yeah, and I felt
1: horrible. And I'm shocked. I, <laughs> and then I did keto. I did that completely wrong. My period mm. stopped. Like Whoa, on yeah, keto? Yeah, because in a female body, these extreme things uh-huh. have an impact on your hormonal system. So This is
0: why people don't test on you, P.S. Absolutely,
1: and that's why so many of these studies on fasting, on whatever, are mm. done on males, because... Hello, males have a 24-hour hormonal cycle. We have a 28-day hormonal cycle. Very different situation.
0: Way too complicated. Okay, so let's take these one by one. This is fascinating. Okay, so (laughs) what is glucose?
1: So glucose is your body's preferred energy source. You mentioned ketones earlier. Mm. Ketone is also a great energy source, but glucose is going to be used first if it's there, basically. Every single cell in your body uses glucose for energy. So my hand cells are using glucose right now to contract. Your brain cells are using glucose to think and look at me and speak. Your heart cells are using glucose to pump, okay? Your body needs glucose and preferably runs on glucose. Every single living thing on this planet also runs on glucose, from plants to dolphins to humans. Plants? Oh, yeah. So plants are the ones that bring glucose to the earth.
0: They're uptaking glucose from the soil?
1: No. They're creating glucose. They create glucose from photosynthesis.
0: So they create glucose? Yes. So I guess that needs to be self-evident since they, that they are glucose? They create wow. and they are it and they
1: burn it. So if we didn't have plants, we wouldn't have life. Plants, is glucose
0: their version of ATP?
1: So glucose is burned to create ATP. So they yeah. create
0: ATP as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All living things do. So plants through photosynthesis, fix the carbon of the air and turn it into glucose molecules. And then this glucose is turned into fiber, it's turned into fructose, it's turned into other things, it's burned for energy, it's used as building blocks to make the plant. When you look at a tree, that's glucose. That was made out of glucose from the air and then turned into stuff. That's so weird. So weird. And so every living thing runs on the glucose paper now. Paper is glucose? Paper is glucose. In my book, I say, if you're reading that's this right, book on I paper, you're reading a book about yeah. glucose printed on, on glucose. glucose. Yeah. So that's... a trip. It's so fascinating. And so we humans, we can't photosynthesize, right? I mean, we could try, but it doesn't work. We need to get glucose through food. So we usually eat foods like starches and sugars to get glucose to our body. Mm. But when you think about a dolphin, for example, a dolphin doesn't eat pasta and cake. So how does a dolphin get the glucose that it needs to make its organism function? Well, if you don't eat glucose, your body will make it from within. Mm. So when you completely cut out all glucose sources from your diet, some parts of your body are going to start running on fat, on ketones, Mm. but the parts of your body that need glucose our, your body's going to make glucose from within, from the protein and the fat you're eating. So that's how dependent we are on this thing, that if we don't eat it, we make it from inside.
0: Okay. So, um, but as we understand that part of the equation, what I want to ask is why, if, if it is so necessary, yes. why is it also so toxic?
1: Fantastic question. So, Imagine I gave you a plant, and I was like, Tom, take care of this plant for two months, please. Mm -hmm. You would take that plant, and you would know that you have to give the plant some water every day for it to survive, right? You would give it a bit of water. But if you give that plant too much water, that plant is going to drown, and I'm going to come back after two months, and my plant will be dead, and I'm going to be pissed off. Mm. Just like plants need some water, but too much drowns them, a human being needs some glucose, but too much glucose causes issues, Which is kind of not intuitive because you would think, well, if it gives my cells energy, I should just give them as much energy as possible Mm. by eating as much glucose as possible. I
0: certainly wouldn't. So that part I get. So no, I wouldn't think that just more, 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 more. But knowing the punchline about glycated tissues, Mm. I'm like, uh, like, it just seems overly reactive and toxic if it's useful. Walk people through, you've said that glycation basically is aging, that yeah. they're the same thing. Walk us through that. Okay. It just seems so bizarre <laughs> that this thing that I have to have that I'll make on my own if I need to is also the thing that's killing me.
1: <laughs> that's, a, that's an extreme way to put it. But yes, it's going to cause issues at high doses. It's going to cause issues when those glucose spikes get to levels That are too high.
0: Is it only if it spikes? It's not, right? No matter what, if a a glucose molecule bumps into something, it sticks to it forever. Yes. It is now damaged, Mm -hmm. and I have glycated, Mm kind of like a piece of toast. Yes. Stealing your words.
1: Yes, but your cells regenerate, right? Mm -hmm. So it's glycated forever, but then those cells can die. Those molecules can be recycled. The problem is when there's so much glycation or so much inflammation that your body can no longer neutralize and, like, take care of it. You know what I mean? It's like we all have cancer cells within us, but normally our body's able to see, oh, that one's not good. We're just going to throw it away and make a new one. Mm. The problem becomes when the cancer cells are just multiplying, 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 and your body can't do anything about it anymore. It's kind of the same for glucose. There's a lot of stuff happening in a body all the time. Like every second, there's billions of molecules going through each of your cell membranes. It's just like mind-boggling. So there's a sort of base state of glycation happening, and that's normal aging. But then the problem comes when there's too much of it happening too often. So to get back to what you were asking, like what happens in the body? There are three main mechanisms that take place underneath our skin that are important to know about when it comes to glucose spikes. So the first thing that happens when your glucose spikes too high to a level that is not healthy for your body is that your mitochondria So the little organelles in your cells that make energy, they become overwhelmed. Your mitochondria are actually in charge of turning glucose into energy. They want some glucose to be able to make energy. But if you give them too much glucose, they go on strike. They're like, I cannot, I cannot today. This is, I just can't. It's too much, too fast for them to handle. So they just shut down. Your mitochondria shutting down then produces free radicals in your body. These free radicals lead to oxidative stress, lead to inflammation. That's one of the main pathways. The second thing that happens is the glycation thing you just mentioned. So from the moment we're born, we're slowly glycating, we're slowly aging. It's kind of like cooking. When you're fully cooked, you die. We can't- I love
0: that you said that with a smile.
1: <laughs> it's true. When we're fully cooked, we die. And that's okay. That's just part of you know, the human condition. We can't stop glycation. Although many people who want to live forever are trying to stop yes, please. it. <laughs> but we can slow it down or speed it up. And every time we have a glucose spike, we're speeding it up. That's really the punchline. It's not like.
0: Let me ask you if Tommy, we had the same amount of sugar go through our system, glucose, go through our system, but in one case, I like gobble it all in the morning and it's a massive spike and then nothing for the next you know, 23 hours and 49 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the other one, it's either through eating fiber and vinegar and doing the things I need to do to slow it down, or just because I really spread that shit out, which of those is going to age me faster? Same amount of glucose. The spike. Interesting. So We know that? That's we know been studied? That.
1: Yeah, we know that. So these spikes are the most harmful to your cells. Hmm. And the first ones actually that suffer the most from these spikes, just, just so you know, are the cells that are lining your blood vessels. So those, the, what's been studied is actually in those particular cells, like what's worse and what's better, a very rapid increase and a very rapid drop, or something more steady, same quantity, but just steadier over time. The spikes are what's causing the most damage. It's what's causing the most, the variability is really the issue here. And so all the hacks I share are actually acting on that particular thing. I'm not telling you you have to cut out the cake and the pasta and the whatever, I'm teaching you really easy tips that allow you to spread the glucose release out so that you have fewer consequences on your health. Mm. And, you know, these big spikes, we also feel them consciously. Like we can feel really jittery and anxious when we have the high. And then that crash, that crash activates the craving center in your brain, Tom, and your brain then tells Your mind, you must eat something sweet right now. It makes you tired. It makes you hungry. Like it's just the spike and the drop of the bad news.
0: Is the fatigue because the variability in the blood glucose triggers a lowering of the rate of creation of ATP? Like is the mitochondria actually slowing down? Because you really do feel like for real tired, like I'm going to fall asleep. And that's why I was surprised that um, going keto, you said you did it poorly. But keto for me changed everything. Yeah. Because when I went keto, I, I had a different relationship to hunger. It wasn't that I didn't get hungry. It was that it didn't make me fatigued or cloudy-headed yeah. or frustrated. I'm just like, oh, I'm hungry. I want to eat.
1: You know how I felt when I was on keto? Mm. I felt like aggressive like i felt like an animal like, like hangry aggressive no, no 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 like it's as if my brain switched into like um i'm gonna fucking like crush everything really? yeah it felt it felt very different to my normal personality it was like my, guess why I, th- I think it's just burning fat instead of burning glucose it to me, I was like, maybe this is what it feels like <laughs> when you're a man and, like, you're running on, you're, you're fasting and you have to go, like, kill the fucking mammoth or I don't know. I don't know. For me, it felt like a different personality. It felt very, like, um, like animalistic almost. I was not in my emotions anymore. I was just like.
0: That is fascinating. Don't
1: cross me or I'll fucking bite you. Like, that, that's how it felt to me. But not uh-huh. hangry from right. a very different place from a place of like just like
0: <sighs> aggression yeah. masculine energy that yeah. is utterly fascinating i've mm-hmm. never heard that before
1: <laughs> i've never told that curious. to anybody before i'm <laughs> Be really
0: curious to see if it influenced your testosterone levels or something it's
1: possible because my period stopped yeah so um, i you know i have very regular cycles i'm super healthy but then when i did that and i was young i was probably 21 or something mm-hmm. i just didn't have a period anymore I just stopped for like 4 months and i was like and okay, it came
0: right back as soon as you yeah. went off that well, no,
1: it really didn't come right back. Like, it came back probably two weeks after. Did
0: you lose fat?
1: <sighs> no. I mean, I was, I was like, I just was like this, you know, I huh. didn't have much fat mass. Um, but I didn't need to sleep very much. Mm. So I would just go to bed, wake up five hours later, when now I need nine hours. Didn't have my period anymore. Felt like an animal. Um, I just, it just was like a experience just to show you how powerful it is when you change mm-hmm. what you eat. So that was too far for me. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want to live there, yeah. but it was such an interesting experience. And for you, it's such a different experience, right? For you, it's like bliss. For me, this information and these hacks, for me, that's bliss. I feel amazing. Amazing energy, no cravings, devil-headed, happy, but the keto thing, whew.
0: If you want a fighting chance against the competition, you need to be using the best technology and platforms in the world, has it, and with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at eBayMotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. That's really interesting. So, keto is the one thing that I would say is as close to universal. That's not true. The closest thing I will say everybody should try is cutting out sugar. Mm. after that and nothing works for everybody but after that i would say keto is something everyone should try now like you if it takes you somewhere that you don't want to go fair enough but yeah in terms of something people should experiment with for the
1: cutting out sugar thing i agree with you like i think sugar really is just for pleasure like there's no benefit to eating Mm. sugar but i think for most people cutting it out cold turkey is really painful challenging stressful so I kind of encourage people to, to take a step before that, which is you're probably on a sugar addiction roller coaster every single day of your life. So step one, like use my hacks so you can still eat sugar without creating the roller coaster. So you're still getting the pleasure, but you're not triggering these cycles of cravings that you're on day in, day out. And all of a sudden you'll see you'll get some distance and you don't really crave sugar anymore. So it's much easier to stop it. A lot of people their body is burning glucose constantly and they are dependent on getting glucose every two hours and they feel really shaky they're like oh my god my blood sugar is low you yeah, know you told
0: a story in the book that freaked me out that there was a woman who would not go to things if she wasn't going to be able to eat every 90 minutes yeah she had like, so
1: for this book i interviewed a bunch of people and got all their stories and it was amazing but uh, one woman she needs to have snacks in her purse constantly while she needed to. Like, if she was invited to something, she would have to time, okay, am I going to be able to leave and get back to my car and eat in the middle of the event? Or am I going to find myself without food for two hours? She was on this roller coaster, this addiction, you know, of like spike hypoglycemia, spike hypoglycemia. Every cell in her body was just burning glucose. She had no metabolic flexibility. She had no ability to start burning fat for fuel when you cut out carbs entirely and if you've been on this glucose addiction for a long time your body will take a week two weeks to be able to switch over to burning fat and that two weeks is really painful Mm -hmm. right and that's probably what you went through so you can do it you can go cold turkey or you can sort of ease yourself into it a bit better, using my hacks, etc. So you teach your body to burn fat again. You get back some of that metabolic flexibility. And then, you know, a month in, if you want to cut out sugar entirely, it's not going to be hard. You're no longer going to be controlled by this craving center being activated every 90 minutes in your brain. It's a very different experience.
0: Walk people through that protocol. If you want to ease your way into it and not do the white knuckle approach that I did.
1: Okay, the protocol would be start with your breakfast. So change your breakfast first. Go from having a sweet breakfast that is just starches and sugars to having a savory breakfast built around protein. You can keep starches in your breakfast for taste, like bread, for example. And if you want something sweet, have whole fruit. Okay.
0: What would you recommend? It's interesting that you recommend fruit. Uh, what would you recommend for a savory breakfast? I didn't say I recommend breakfast? it. I
1: didn't say I recommend it. I say if you want to eat something sweet at breakfast because you're used to it, have whole fruit because fiber's there, so it's less glucose spiking. Um, for breakfast, I'd recommend a high protein breakfast. So I love omelets with feta and tomatoes. You know things like that. Ultimately, like starting your day with protein is the best thing you can do. Uh, but in order to get, to get people there, you have to go through a few steps. Protein
0: or fat and protein
1: protein first some fats as well is really a good idea but protein Are is- egg
0: whites better than full eggs
1: no no that's been that's been debunked super long time ago we don't have to worry about eggs anymore so full eggs i, totally I think fine.
0: many people listening to this will be surprised to hear that
1: so for a long time we thought that if you ate something that had cholesterol in it it would lead to high cholesterol in your blood mm. and people also thought that ooh, high cholesterol is bad it's going to give me a heart attack those two pieces have been debunked. One, we now know that when you eat something that has cholesterol, it actually doesn't really turn into cholesterol in your blood. Second, we also know that having high total cholesterol is not a good predictor of heart disease. Half of the people who have a heart attack have normal levels of cholesterol.
0: Really? Yes. I actually didn't know that.
1: Yeah. So, we now know that what's more important is your LDL type B, which is a specific particle size of cholesterol. That's the bad stuff. And we also know that inflammation in your body and in your blood vessels is much more predictive of heart Mm -hmm. disease. So C-reactive protein is a great test to do that actually predicts heart disease way better than total cholesterol does. So that's the piece in the blood. The food thing, we now know that one of the worst things to eat that actually makes this bad cholesterol is fructose. It's sugar. That is a much bigger driver of this cholesterol type than eating foods that have cholesterol in them. As a result... If in the morning you want to have eggs, totally great idea. So first part of the protocol, and this is the only part where I ask people to change what they're eating, is going from a sweet breakfast to a savory breakfast.
0: Because most people are eating like cereals and stuff?
1: Most people are eating um, fruit juice, maybe some bread, uh, jam, uh, cereal for Mm -hmm. sure. Most people eat starches and sugars for breakfast. Maybe they buy a muffin or a pastry or croissant or, you know something like that. Or maybe they just have a coffee with sugar in it. Most people start their day like that. The thing is, if you create a big glucose spike at breakfast, it actually controls your entire day. Your entire day turns into this roller coaster. And if you've never had a savory breakfast and you've spent your entire life having a sweet breakfast, you have no idea how much of a different world it is when you start your day with savory foods. To me, it's like In the movie you walk through the mirror to the parallel universe like that's that's the power of switching your breakfast and not having a glucose spike at breakfast so that's step one and then i would say start eating your food in the right order when it's easy you don't have to be drastic crazy about it like when it's easy add a plate of vegetables at the beginning of your lunch and dinner add some vinegar to it you can still eat sugar it's not a problem but if you eat sugar have it as dessert after a meal instead of on an empty stomach, and then use your muscles after a meal for 10 minutes. If you do those things, and this is all detailed in Glucose Revolution, you will fundamentally change the biochemistry of your body, and you're going to help your body thrive, and your body and you are going to become partners in helping you live your best life. About 80% of the population has these glucose spikes, Tom, and not just diabetics. I used to think glucose was just relevant for people with diabetes, most people still think that this is what I'm sharing now. The science, this cutting edge science is showing us that every single person is going to benefit from this. It's easy. It's gentle. It's fun. You feel amazing. Like, what
0: else? So is it really that simple? So we've got um, don't eat the sweet breakfast. Yeah. Get your protein, maybe a little bit of fat. Eat in the right order. You're adding in some vinegar.
1: Add vegetables to the beginning of your meal too.
0: And all of the benefits from your protocol—that it really is that.
1: That plus, I would say, when you do eat sugar, make sure it's as dessert, not on an empty stomach. And the movement after meals is good. There's other hacks in here, like mm. putting clothing on your carbs, etc. But
0: you're gonna have to explain that to people. Yeah,
1: I will. <laughs> so, but if you do these things, it's truly—it um, it changes you from the inside out. You know, like these spikes. Your glucose levels respond instantly to what you're doing. So if you put these four or five things in place, which are not very hard, like things change from within, for real, on a cellular level. It's like a whole different world. Um, And actually right now, so I'm running a study on uh, people from my own Instagram community. So I have about like a million something followers on Instagram now. And last week I kicked off a study and this is now closed and I've recruited the people, but I have a few thousand people who are going to go. Yeah we are going to go through this exact protocol i mentioned to you so we're going to start with changing our breakfast and we're adding veggie starter we're adding vinegar and we're doing movement and we're going to do this over four weeks and i'm measuring i'm asking them to tell me about their cravings their hunger their happiness their energy and then they're going to report to me anything that happens so for example i have a lot of females in the study who might have hormonal issues period stuff so they're going to report that A lot of men, too, are going to report on performance or whatever they they see fit. I want to start doing more of these things because so far I've just been translating other people's research into this information that's easily accessible. Mm. But now, actually, I have a community of people who are really keen to just take this to the next level. So that's kind of the
0: future. How many people in your community use a CGM
1: Very few because most people in my community have a hard time affording, for example, my $20 book, Mm. you know, Um, and those are the people I want to serve first. So uh, I think, hard to say, maybe like 5% of people are a CGM, less. The problem is the CGMs on the market right now are really expensive. Mm. You know, they're like $200 minimum per month. Uh, So very few people can actually afford them. And personally, I think the CGMs that are currently on the market are not yet like amazing and great for the wellness audience. I think they're still very much in the biohacker sphere of things, which is totally fine. But um, what would you want
0: them to change?
1: I would want them to stop focusing so much on the number and give people like um, a summary of how they're doing that is human instead of being like 85, 92, and then the person has to figure out what the fuck that means because it's scary. I get messages it's every day scary? from people.
0: Yeah. In what way?
1: People message me and they're like, my glucose was at 85. Now it's at 92. Is that a spike? Is it bad? Am I okay? Am I diabetic? Like data without proper support and reassurance is really scary for most people who are not super well-versed in, you know, just devices mm-hmm. and data in general. So I would want them to change that. And I still think on the education piece, is a lot missing. I think we could do much, much better.
0: Let's do some of it right now. What would you, because <laughs> for me, the, I was startled by how edifying wearing a continuous glucose monitor was. Things that I didn't think would spike me, spiked me. The one that freaked me out, this still, I get very enthusiastic about this. So obviously I knew if you exercise, you burn glucose. And my wife and I had ice cream and I was wearing a CGM. Let me tell you, that'll sober you up real fast about your ice cream. So I'm eating the ice cream. I'm looking at my number on the CGM and it's just going up, 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 like 100, 110, 120, 140, 50, 60, 175. I was like, holy (laughs) shit. So now I'm like, I'm really starting to get worried. Like this is really high. And so I started doing air squats. Now I did, I did a lot. I probably did close to 300 air squats, but my number, you can just watch it coming back down 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 like as it's not real time but it's fast like i would say within i probably did them over the span of two and a half hours and over that span of two and a half hours it dropped right back down to i think i pulled it back down into like the 80s it's amazing so i was like what like i was shocked at how much i could manipulate that number
1: your muscles are your best friend in this glucose Mm. world and that's one of the reasons why I tell people if you're going to eat something that's high in sugar, do it before or after you use your muscles, right? The best time to eat a cookie is before you go work out. Mm. because it's not going to have that big of an impact on your body. You're going to get the pleasure, but then your muscles are going to soak that up real, real fast.
0: Now, do you get the glycation of the tissues if you exercise and it goes right into the muscle or... Because it's being used by the muscle, like, does that not happen?
1: So actually, there's another question in here, which is sometimes when you exercise, you see a glucose spike. Have you ever seen that? You were exercising, you had not eaten, and it created a glucose spike?
0: Yes, but not like a big spike. Okay, Lisa okay, gets okay. a much bigger spike than I do. Okay. Because she works out a lot harder. Let's start with that. But
1: <laughs> So to your first question, like... Do you get glycation if it goes straight to your mitochondria to be Mm. used for energy? No, that's what's really cool about it. And the second cool thing that happens, when there's a bunch of glucose arriving in your bloodstream from ice cream, for example, usually your body is going to release insulin to bring that glucose and store it away. Mm. The problem is, over time, too much insulin is a key driver of type 2 diabetes, okay? If after the ice cream you start exercising your muscles are going to uptake that glucose without the need for insulin.
0: Really? Yes. I always thought it was still using insulin. No.
1: So when your muscles are exercising, they do not need insulin to uptake glucose, Mm. which is why it's so cool.
0: That's really powerful. So I'll do that now. If we're gonna have like a proper cheat, like if it's the holidays or something, then I'll do, and I usually use legs, legs and back just because I mean they're the biggest muscles.
1: Booty, man. Use your booty. I guess I use my booty. I was gonna say maybe a little (laughs) less exciting for a guy, but yes,
0: I hear you. Uh, and it you really can mitigate, like really mitigate the effects. Something that might spike me to 180, 190. I can keep to 130, let's say, by even doing it before I eat. Or what I'll normally do is I'll do it throughout the day. That way, it's not like super obnoxious. So, I'll do a bunch of air squats, leg extensions, um, might throw in a little back, a little chest just to like round it out. Why not? Uh, It's really impactful. It's
1: so cool. And so, that's why one of my hacks is this like 10 minutes of movement movement after Mm. your meals. You can actually just go for a walk and you can like, fold your laundry or play with your dog or do the dishes, like even just that within 90 minutes of the end of a meal is going to significantly curb that spike. Mm. And so instead of experiencing the spike, having the inflammation, the glycation, the insulin, then experiencing the crash, which puts you on that cravings roller coaster that we're so familiar with, with this 10 minutes, you're reducing the spike and you're flattening the crash. So like you're acting on so many different powerful levers here to reduce Mm -hmm. the symptoms and you feel different you really do
0: really different this is one thing i'm glad you talk about because so i come from a morbidly obese family and trying to like convince them this isn't a moral thing like i'm okay if you never lose weight i'm not going to love you more if you get in shape so this is just about how do you feel how long are you going to be around but trying to convey like you will feel better and yes, without your protocol anyway, it's a little bit brutal getting to the other side, but it is so worth it. You just, you feel, you sleep better, uh, your joints don't hurt, clear thinking, more energy. Yeah. It's really, really transformative.
1: It is, but it's so hard. And I feel to, like. To
0: do the things? To do the things.
1: Sometimes when people think it has to be a cold turkey thing, I. I work on helping people change their behavior mm. in very simple, painless ways. You know, these hacks, I specifically made them so that they're a no-brainer. They're easy to do. They don't require you any effort. And then slowly you start feeling better. And then it becomes this virtuous cycle. You're like, whoa, I feel way better today than I did yesterday. Let me continue, you know, because it's hard to get people to change their behaviors. It's one of the hardest things, like, ever.
0: Until you do it. Yes. Because now that I'm so used to feeling good. Absolutely. I don't yeah. cheat not. So Lisa and I used to cheat a lot. Like we would do, we would starve ourselves all week and then all weekend we would just go bananas and eat <laughs> as much junk food as we could fit in our faces. And it was admittedly It had like almost an orgy quality to it. It was so bombastic. And like I would get up early in the morning and I would drive to my favorite restaurant to get my favorite dessert. And so it it had an excitement. Mm -hmm. So you could make a a Saturday feel like Christmas Day. And there's a cool thing to that. But you end up feeling so gross Mm. that now I don't do it not because I'm even really worried about anything. It's just Just I don't like to feel like that. Do
1: you remember Tim Ferriss' four-hour body and he had that slow carb diet thing which mm-hmm. was kind of the same thing like six days you eat clean and then you pig out I did that too I just wanted to test everything I'm just super curious and I just felt so shit during those days mm. and I was like ooh, yep. and my interoception like the, my ability to feel the inside of my body is really high and really good and so if I eat a bunch of crap and I just do full orgy thing I feel horrible much prefer like having a little bit of sugar every day using mm-hmm. my hacks So I don't get all the horrible side effects.
0: Yeah, no, agreed. And as somebody that wants to live forever...
1: Do you want to live forever?
0: Yeah, for real.
1: So what's your plan?
0: I'm going to die 100%. Mm. As of right now, there is no other option. But I don't understand people that don't want to live forever. I I actually think that's a... um, It's the wrong way to view the world. Mm. So I get that somebody may you may face the truth, which is as of right now, most people get so sedentary in their thinking that they calcify. And I think that the reason, because I've often thought, why do humans die? Like, what's the point? Evolution came up with this solution because we could, there are jellyfish that live forever effectively. I mean, if you die a traumatic death, you die a traumatic death. But they go back to an embryonic state and they revitalize and they just keep doing that for mm-hmm. thousands of years. And we don't. Why don't we? As a species that has chosen culture as, as like our thing, we don't come pre-hardwired with everything, about 50%. The other 50% is total malleability and we've taken over everything. So it's clearly an amazing strategy. But for that to keep going, you have to have a sense of renewal. So I get why... We die from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense, but I don't understand why people want to die. That's the part where I'm like, uh, that's somebody who's not doing things right here and now.
1: For me, the fact that I'm going to die makes a lot of my life meaningful because if I was never going to die, I think that I would just feel like, oh, what's the point of doing this today? I can just do it in 10,000 years. Like,
0: Read Einstein's dreams. Okay. This book, this is one of those things. The the book says people fall into two camps. It's a bunch of short stories all about time. And one of them is, hey, welcome to the world where nobody dies. Mm. And everybody bifurcates into two kinds of people. People that never do anything because there's always time to do it tomorrow. And then people do everything because now all the things you've ever wanted to do, you can do. You can do. Now, here is... Uh, an insight into my mind. I actually, I say this not with pride. This, this has been a problem in my life and I'd be far more successful if this weren't true. I do not like that you can be anything you want but not everything. That, that haunts me and I, whatever um, trick of DNA I have that makes me curious and allows me to be nimble and to constantly change and evolve, that thing also has given me this real difficulty saying i'm gonna do this one thing
1: having to choose like one path, yeah you uh,
0: i find that distressing in a way that makes me even now i'm like adjusting my posture it really bothers me and so but to bring it back to Einstein's dreams i very much fall into the camp of i would do everything
1: because mm-hmm. now
0: i don't have to choose i have to do it sequentially But you can get good at everything. Like that is entirely. Does it
1: give you a little bit of peace to think that maybe there are infinite parallel universes where you have done everything?
0: None whatsoever. Mm. Because I don't get to experience them. In the same way because I for a long time fantasized about well, I could upload my consciousness. Yes, but that's not me. No. That's my consciousness. And your consciousness
1: can't do everything. Right.
0: So oh there was a movie about this where a guy is terminally ill. And a company pulls him aside and says, we can clone you, mm. including your memories, all of that. Your family will never know. Are you willing to make the deal? And so he's like, yeah, for my mm. wife to not be sad for my you know, six-year-old son to grow up or daughter, I can't remember, to grow up with their father, 100% I'll do it. But then the day of like actually handing off happens and you realize, oh, it's not actually me. I'm still dying. So now this is, I don't even get to go through the grieving process. I don't yeah. get to say goodbye. Nothing. You can't say a word. And I was like, yeah, it, there is no solace offered by that whatsoever.
1: It's funny the different existential anxieties each of us has. My main existential anxiety is that I am in a body. Like that, to me, has been the most difficult thing really? to accept. Yes, Since I broke my back when I was 19 and then I started having all these mental health issues, I think when I had my accident and then the intense surgery, I think part of me really thought that I was dead.
0: So you didn't have any of the, the, you say it's not quite disassociation, but walking up to that line, none of that before the accident? Zero. Interesting. Whoa. Walk people through that moment if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The accident?
0: Yes. I have questions.
1: Okay. So the accident itself, I was 19 on vacation with friends on Maui in Hawaii They're like these fit dudes. are like, we're going to jump off this waterfall. Jesse, you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, I'm cool. I'm not scared of anything. Jump off, turns out one of my vertebrae explodes just by hitting the water wrong. No rocks, nothing. Vertebrae explodes. I need to be flown back to Europe to have surgery. I lay in the hospital bed for a week before the surgery happens because it was like a holiday or whatever in Switzerland. When they take me, To go to the operating room, I literally thought I was gonna die because it's an eight hour surgery that put metal rods, drills metal rods into your spine. Are you effectively
0: paralyzed at this point?
1: No, 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 I'm fine.
0: You can move?
1: I can move, but the problem is if I move and one of the pieces of vertebrae ruptures my spinal cord because there were 13 pieces like floating there, then I'm paralyzed. Whoa. So I couldn't, I wasn't allowed to move. So that was the scariest moment of my life, really. But then I wake up. And I'm in horrible pain for a very long time. But then I start having these episodes of just feeling like my sense of self fractures. I can no longer locate myself, like, in my mind.
0: What does that mean?
1: Imagine you're really scared of spiders. Uh Like, really, really, really scared of spiders. I'm
0: married to someone like that. Okay.
1: And I take a living tarantula and I glue it to your forehead and Uh it's alive and you can't take it off. Yep. And you just have to live like that.
0: Sounds less than ideal.
1: That's how I felt about existing. To me, the fact that I was alive and that I had senses, yeah, that I had senses was the most terrifying thing I could ever imagine. Whoa. Yeah. So that's what I was going through. So to me, like, just existing was... Was, uh,
0: Were you framing existence as suffering because you were in pain?
1: Oh, no. I was way... Like, it felt way more... um, Ancestral than that. Like, I wasn't even, my consciousness wasn't even like formed. I felt fragmented. It was like, just my brain was like bugging, like really deeply. It felt like my brain, in the very inside, like the deepest ancestral part of my brain that's just aware that you exist, I felt like that part was just not working. Hmm. So I'm walking around. If I look at myself in the mirror, I have a panic attack because I'm like, what is this that I'm seeing? My mind is in many, many different places. I look at my head. Was hands. there any head trauma? No. I think it's just the stress that I was not able to move.
0: Wow. And I think
1: part of myself thought I was really dying, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so that became the thing I was the most scared about. And it still happens, like, once in a while when I go through something very stressful. Like, that thing comes back. I'm mm. like, fuck, I'm in a body. Like, this is so fucking weird. You know, this kind of like a different part of me. I think maybe my consciousness, the one that's not really in the body and that goes back to the universe when you die, like that part just being like,
0: whoa, You just dropped a bombshell on us here. So are you a dualist? I don't know what that means. A uh, Mind and body are two separate things. Or sorry, the, the spirit and the body are two separate things.
1: <sighs> I'm not sure. I don't know if I framed it that way, but I definitely feel like there are different parts of me and that they're not all one thing. Like, I think dying is important for me because I want to be part of the fabric, the energetic fabric of the universe, and mm-hmm. I think that happens through birth, and consciousness arises, and you kind of like carry this little piece of the universe with you, and then you die, and you fall back into like a dolphin jumping. You, know? you go up and back down. To me, that's kind of how I see my life.
0: But when the dolphin jumps back under the water, it's still the dolphin.
1: Yeah, but it's now merged with the... yeah. But, do you I, th-
0: but that's what I'm trying to get to. Do you feel like there uh, no, is... Oh, no, I feel like the dolphin you... would then dissolve. Okay. Yeah.
1: I feel like before I was born, I was part of just the energetic universe. And when my body will die, yep. I'll just be back part of the energetic universe. So actually dying does not scare me.
0: And you don't think while alive that you're part of the energetic universe? So
1: that's the thing I'm working on being more aware of because mm. to me being in a body feels very separated from the universe and so I have to remind mm. myself like I'm actually floating in this universal energetic soup and like it's okay Jesse like you're still part of the universe you're not this little you isolated thing. like the
0: thing. absolute reverse of what most people have. It's like mm. being dead freaks people out.
1: Yeah it doesn't freak me out at all.
0: But being alive they're yeah. like word. I know. That I know. is really interesting. Have yeah. you done psychedelics? Yeah. Well, now you have to tell me. So first of all, I've only microdosed, so I've never had like a real experience, but I am beyond curious. So given that you have this tendency towards, what word should I use? Because you don't say disassociated.
1: I call it splitting.
0: Splitting. Perfect. So given that you have this tendency towards splitting, I would think that would be exacerbated by psychedelics. Was it?
1: It depends on the dose, on the context, not ayahuasca, but like acid, mushrooms, et cetera. It depends on the dose. And for me, for a long time, psychedelics were just going to show me the parts of myself that was still broken. Like at the same time as this splitting happened, I started having panic attacks and I became hyper aware of my breathing and my heart. And I was like, (gasps) I'm breathing and I have a heartbeat. Oh, my God. So weird. Like literally Mm. like being in the body was so strange. So I had to first go through the process of healing that fear. And now I'm cautious, to be honest. Like, I only do them in specific settings, usually ceremonial settings. I take very little doses because I'm very, like, porous, you know? Like, things affect me very quickly. But what I usually get from them is, yeah, you're in a body right now, and that's okay. You need to be more comfortable with this, you know? And, And find the things in your life that make that more livable so i write music for example that's a really big outlet for me Um, i have to take very good care of my body and just make sure i'm healthy otherwise
0: that's interesting so one tying um mental health concerns to diet i think is really important as somebody who struggled with anxiety massively and then finally realizing oh my god this is the vast majority of this is diet related yeah That was absolutely a transformational breakthrough for me. In fact, Lisa was just on a live and I happened to be sitting next to her and she's telling somebody asked about, hey, I have this 18-year-old with anxiety. What do I do? She's like, I've never struggled with anxiety, but therapy can be really powerful. So I write on the computer and make it as big as I can. I'm like, anxiety equals diet. I'm like, 100% that person needs to figure out their diet.
1: Absolutely. Not
0: that they won't also maybe need therapy, but I'm like, the reason that we have this insane influx of anxiety now, I promise you is instigated by diet it may not be the sole problem because i bet that social media doesn't help Mm -hmm. but it is the body and the brain getting in a death loop of trying to say hey there's a problem and then the brain tries to write a story and it goes oh well we've got that big test or that girl rejected us or whatever that's why i'm freaking out no it's what you're eating and if you get that in line things will get a lot better
1: For me, when I first was wearing a glucose monitor, a week in, I started having this splitting episode again. I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. And by the way, for the better part of 10 years, I didn't know why they were happening and when and what to do about them. I was wearing my glucose monitor. So while I'm splitting, I scan. What do I see? Massive glucose spike. From that moment on, I was like, oh, maybe the way I'm living and how I'm eating is actually causing me to split over and over again. And that's why I became so fascinated with glucose of all things. Because for me, it was like a light bulb went off. Like, oh, there's something happening inside my body and my conscious brain creates these symptoms and these states maybe to tell me that something underneath is not, you know, right. Mm. So that was the beginning, so completely agree.
0: All right, so going back to the psychedelics, so mm-hmm. you're porous, you take a low dose, mm-hmm. but you had hallucinations. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. But even like acid as well, like I take 50 micrograms. If that was
0: called anything else, I might consider it, but acid just sounds fucking terrible. That's bad marketing. I don't want to eat anything called LSD. acid. <laughs> LSD, I guess. Yeah, that's better. So
1: I take sm- like LSD, that's I take horrible. like 50 micrograms and I'm fucking like 15? gone. 15? Fifty. Five, zero. which is small but actually the problem that happened with me in psychedelics is that the first time i took any i didn't really know what i was doing and so i ended up taking lsd and mushrooms oh at the same time. god I, I didn't know i didn't know anything about this stuff
0: yeah see that's what i'm saying i would never yeah. swallow and actually, something that i, I think didn't that
1: know. was one of my problems that i didn't have enough of a like guardrail around this and i should have been like a bit more but i, I what was, happened You know, when I was younger, I really wanted to be cool. Like, I really wanted to be, you know, to do cool things. That's why I jumped off the fucking waterfall. I didn't want to. I was so scared. But I wanted to be cool in front of my friends. Yeah. So, anyway, the psychedelics is interesting. But to me, most of my work as a human being has been to actually ground back into my body Mm. and into the earth. Instead of trying to, like, split my consciousness open.
0: the earth. Interesting. What do you mean by that? I can't tell if you're, like, super woo-woo or... Not. I'm both you have an interesting balance
1: I'm mega both so when you ground when you put your yeah. feet in your literal hands literal grounding yeah, so like right. on, on the grass, yep, for yep. example, like what I did earlier outside your house, so when you do this, you're essentially connecting your nervous system to the earth's nervous Literally. system yep and any excess Electrons? It's electron transfer, right? exactly. Yeah, and the yeah, excess yeah. electrons go into the ground, and so you can rebalance your electricity. This helps me a lot, especially after I fly on a plane. Hmm. I'm, ver- I can feel my I voltages. Other people say that. Yeah. that it's
0: So weird.
1: But I have both, Tom. I have like both mega scientific and also like I talk to the universe all the time. I just close my eyes okay. and I see stuff. And you're I you're gonna
0: just have to explain like... that. Talking <laughs> implies that there's a two-way conversation. Yeah. Okay, so you do you actually think words, say words? It's
1: intuition. I feel it. So I think I think I speak to my higher self or something.
0: Interesting.
1: And I, my intuition is very strong, and I try to listen to it and grow it. You know, my whole journey on glucose revolution, glucose goddess, like all this stuff I've built has been built on my intuition of you know when to do something, what to do, like everything. Everything, even the fact that I'm here with you today, I decide whose podcast I come on based on my intuition when I get the email.
0: Hmm.
1: So that has served me well. So I can speak. Do you think
0: you have to train your intuition? Yes, Okay. I
1: think so, absolutely, absolutely.
0: Now, do you, do you see that as the universe or as your subconscious?
1: I see that as something that's the universe. I don't see that as something In a poetic isolated, way or
0: a literal way? Poetic way. I
1: okay. don't see that as something in my head
0: interesting no so it's we're not back in my head a sort of dualism here it's not in my head so there is a higher self yeah. that exists outside of your body
1: yes yes interesting yes, that i'm connected to
0: yeah so that to me sounds so i'm really trying to process through why i i have a repellent feeling when people do that so i've really thought like why does it bother me so much I'm exploring this out loud. I don't have a final answer yet, but my thinking goes something like this. We all have an opportunity to identify what is true and the things that are true. If if you're aligned with what is true, then you can more accurately move through the world. The way that I normally say it, but I found like a slight flaw in this the other day. And so I'm trying to be... I'm trying to find a better model for this. But I have seen people suffer massively because they don't understand how the world actually works. And when I say they don't understand how the world actually works, they don't understand how um, money works, how ascending in a job works, how their brain works, how diet works. And because they don't understand those things, they suffer emotionally so some people will argue that there's, there's no absolute. I think there is one absolute, that we ought, as in a moral exercise, everybody ought to do their best to minimize human suffering. Now, we'll never be able to eliminate it, but I think that that is the thing that we should strive towards. That's the one thing we should all just agree, like, hey, is the thing that you're doing, is that increasing human suffering or decreasing yeah. human suffering? That feels like a thing everyone should be able to get behind. Now, I don't think there's any utopias. There's only trade-offs. So now it's like, okay, you have to, one, look at the data. So I, I had a hypothesis. I tried it. Did it actually reduce human suffering myself, other people, whatever? So that which is true are the things where you go, oh, if I do that because it's in alignment with the way the world actually works, then I will reduce suffering. So take glucose. Hey, maybe you want to eat cake and ice cream, but sorry, that's just not how nature worked out. And so if you eat all of that, you end up feeling bad. So even though it's temporarily enjoyable, it one, to your point about inflammation, it happens to attack the inside of your blood vessels, which then also generates the bad cholesterol, which then sticks to the bumps in your inflamed arteries and you die. So it's like whether it should or not, it does. And so people that are aligned with the reality of glucose, like, hey, maybe fiber shouldn't slow the absorption of glucose, but it does. And so aligning with those things, they just are true. And you can believe them or not believe them. We will almost certainly over time learn more about the mechanisms and realize we're only partly right right now and that there's a better truth to be, uh, something that is more accurate is probably the right way to think about it. And so we'll refine, refine, refine. And because your ability to understand the way that things actually work and thusly act in accordance and thusly reduce human suffering is why I push back on woo, because the the amount of times i see people that respond super positively to woo it ends up moving their life backwards Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and from a a human suffering standpoint and so it's like when it's making somebody's life better whether it's right or wrong i'm just like word rock do your thing
1: exactly but like
0: when i see people like yeah they're moving in the wrong direction yeah "Ah."
1: and woo for woo's sake just as because you feel like that's going to solve all your problems like that's not the way to go i completely agree with you and actually it's pretty painful even for me to think these things because it would be so much easier if i just aligned with what most people think or if i aligned with a specific religion like at least i would feel like i'm part of a community right but the reality is and i can't fight it my relationship to existence and why we're here is very personal Mm. and i can't align with what's true like it's true for me you know, and I think at some point I've had to just lean into that because otherwise I was constantly... Can you
0: define what mean by true for you?
1: So you say we have to agree on what's true.
0: No, very no? much. True doesn't give a shit what we agree on. So what did you say things we have are, to
1: agree on? What's right?
0: Things either are useful or they're not. Mm. So meaning if you believe in gravity, your life is going to be a lot easier than if you don't. Like imagine for a second that I damaged the part of your brain that allowed you to understand your relationship with gravity. And therefore, like even you'll see in, in puppies, they understand, ooh, walk up to an edge. I don't want to go over that. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely. So they have an
0: instinctual understanding of like, oh, I can fall and I will get hurt. Or they've fallen an inch and known, ooh, that's an even farther. But we get it, right? So you understand. You don't know that it's gravity, but you know if I step off the roof, I'm going to get hurt. If that gets broken. In fact, there are people that can't feel pain. They always die young because there's nothing that tells them don't step off that high space. Don't hold your hand on a burner because why not? It doesn't fucking hurt. So when people are disconnected from from effectiveness, like pain is a way of aligning you to effectiveness. Mm -hmm. If you Mm -hmm. do this thing, you will damage your body and in damaging your body, you're more likely to die. Okay. So all I'm saying is there are ways to behave that line up with things that will, and this is the flaw that I found, that will move you towards your goal. So I'll give you an example. Steve Jobs, and I don't know the story well enough, but it's, it's directionally accurate, was convinced that he could fight the cancer by eating fruit. Yeah. And that's a bunch of fucking sugar, yeah. and that hastened the decline of a person who I wish were still around. So you get people who think that they're going to pray their cancer away. And while I think that the mind is freakishly powerful and that in no way, shape or form am I saying that the mind and aligning your mind and like telling you, like, let me tell you, if I had cancer, I'd be like envisioning my T-cells going in and like killing the cancer. I would pray. I would laugh. I would fucking do everything. But I would also look at like, how do I create um, a, a genetically specific treatment to me that has some scientific rigor that you know is is hopefully going to be Mm -hmm. even more effective so i would pull out the kitchen sink but my thing is we will find over time one of them actually works better than the other and to not continue to want to figure out what really works like if i hear somebody use the word quantum and they mean magic I want to punch the TV. I'm like, the fuck! Like, I get or, it. Or
1: let's just throw AI at this. It'll work. You're not saying that. But
0: AI turns me on. But okay, yes, but you get what I mean. Like, I the thing
1: is, Tom. Like, my personal relationship to whatever higher self or intuition is one of the main reasons that I've been able to achieve what I have achieved. The fact that I felt when to do things, that I felt which people to meet, which people to talk to, has been fundamental to me making useful stuff and helping Mm. people, right? Everything, from the design of the cover to the feeling I had when my agent reached out to me, to what posts to do, to how I react to emails I get from journalists or whatever, to which people to call to put in the book, to what kind of stories to do on Instagram. like A lot of the stuff has been driven by my intuition. I don't know what the fuck that is, but it works for me. Can I tell you? Hmm?
0: Can I tell you what it is? Yeah, tell me. Pattern recognition. Mm. so there's a reason that your average seven-year-old is not going to be able to do that Mm. their brain isn't fully developed they don't know how to interpret the signals from their body and they just haven't done enough cycles to be able to put things together so for Mm. instance i am inhumanly good at identifying who's going to be a prick and who's not what did you think of me when you first met me Uh, you are instantly warming. No, no, no. You know better than that. You are incredibly warming. Uh, You know that you are. I can tell in the way that you behave. And so, But the reason that I can do that is twofold. One, I probably have a genetic disposition that I can read micro expressions. Maybe I'm also just better at when I see something, I remember it for the next time. So I know that there's part of it I have not earned at all. But the other part of it is that I have spent 15 years, more now, almost 20 years interviewing people to hire. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen thousands of people, actually the literal number at this point is probably about 1,600. I've seen 1,600 people in an interview setting. And then I got to watch that play out over they actually got hired. Was I right? Was I wrong? And so... That's why I asked you when you brought it up earlier. I said, do you have to train intuition? You said, yes. So all of my defenses go down. Pattern
1: recognition, yeah.
0: Seems to be, right? I don't think it's the universe speaking to us. But by the way, I'm very Mm -hmm. open. If it ends up being that the universe really is speaking to us, word. Like, I don't care. I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm just saying, like, we want to figure out what is actually true.
1: Maybe it's just different names. You know, for me, maybe I call it my higher self or whatever, but actually I could be like, hey, pattern recognition software in my brain, like, help me with this one. Like, should I answer this email? I don't care what we call it. But here's
0: why I care what we call it. And maybe I'm crazy. Mm. But if you say to the people that listen to you who are all running experiments in their own lives, hey, guys this is intuition. You have to train it. You're going to pick an area and you're going to get good at this. You're going to run tests and come up with a hypothesis about, Hey, when my gut feels this way, should I do this thing? And now try it out. Have that Mm. hypothesis run and see what happens. Then people, I think will be more aligned with what they actually need to do in order to get good at that thing. If you're like, Hey, you need to sit, close your eyes and connect to your body. Now, for me, there was a period in my life where connecting to my body told me that something bad is happening at all times. But that was actually from drinking Monster, the energy drink. And some people, when they
1: connect to themselves, they just want to destroy themselves and destroy everything, right? And by the way, I don't actually talk about this, nor do I give any advice on this topic because I'm still in the data gathering phase. So your um, view on this is actually really helpful because I know that in 10 years I'm going to want to go into mental health in one way or another. And I'm trying to figure out, like, could I do to mental health? what I'm doing to glucose, which is find the latest science, turn it into easy tips and show you visually what impact it's having because people love seeing images and they believe images. And so it's a good way to illustrate science. And so I'm wondering, like, how do we measure, for example, nervous system state in a way that I can show you to be like, hey, when you um, shake after something stressful happened, your nervous system calms down and that's better and you can see it like this and that's good for your mental health. right? But like the mental health space is so complicated. And I agree with you. Do you call it woo? Do you call it intuition? Do you call it stress? Do you call it nervous system? Like I don't even fucking know. Glucose is much simpler. It's like this is your blood sugar level. (laughs) It's much easier to understand. Like mental health and your brain.
0: A, yes, I think you will be able to have that impact. You are. When Lisa and I were first talking about you, because we for people that don't overlap with us, Lisa and I have interviewed you on the same day. And so we were talking about, you know, what we'd read and all that. And I was like, man, she's really good at taking complex ideas and making them accessible. Mm -hmm. I've read two dozen books on glucose and yours really is, for somebody that, that wants like an actionable understanding of it, it's money. So you applying that same idea to mental health, I think is incredible. I also think that we're gonna find that it's probably more related to diet, environmental toxins, and things like that than we want to believe. Not entirely, Mm. but...
1: I think it's emotional processing. Like, how do you metabolize emotions? How do you move them? You know, how do you... It's energy. It's like voltage growing through your body. Um, and that's something I've had to deal with my, you know, the past 10 years because otherwise I get overwhelmed. So I've had to learn to ground and to shake and to take cold showers to train my nervous system to be more resilient, et cetera. Mm. I think that's the direction I'm going to go into. Like easy tips to make your nervous system more resilient so your mental health is more resilient as well.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. What draws you so much to mental health?
1: My own suffering. Truly, just because... It was such a black box when I started developing those splitting episodes. I was living in London and the people I was around, you know, my friends, they were very cerebral. And I felt really, really, really alone. Like I had nobody older to turn to Mm. until I moved to California. And then I met people who were like... Yeah, you went through a traumatic event, stress is held in the body, like, let's move it, mm. you know, shake, like zebras shake after they were chased by a lion. Mm. I knew nothing of that. So I was holding, I think, so much stress in my body. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't know I was supposed to put it somewhere. I was clueless, you know, I was 19. Like I've, and so for 10 years, I could never be alone, could never sleep in a house by myself.
0: Whoa, mm. why? I don't yeah. understand that.
1: Because being, because existing was so scary and to me. And being
0: alone made you aware of that. Yeah.
1: So, I always had to be. What
0: is it about being around other people? The funny thing is, I get this so intimately.
1: Safety. Uh, I felt more calm. It's like my brain just kind of went to that place when I was alone. Because if I was alone, I'd be like, my brain would be like, hey, why are we in a body? You know, just like stupid shit. And that would just come back up and I'd be like, no. (laughs) And just being alone brought that back up. I actually had to, at some point, sit with it. And actually, last year, for the first time, I came to LA in October of last year, so exactly a year ago, and I was like, I'm gonna spend five weeks alone.
0: Mm.
1: And that was like the biggest test of my life, and I was able to do it. But back 10 years ago, I couldn't spend. Did you talk to anybody? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was I was living somewhere So you were never
0: physically in the same space with exactly. somebody, but you spoke to other And
1: actually, what has helped me so much in my stress of being alone is remembering that I'm not alone. That there are people I love mm. who also exist in this plane. And they're also on this planet. And so feeling like this connection has really soothed that stress. Because of my whole body weirdness thing, I feel disconnected. You know how I explain, like, before birth, after death, for me, it's really easy to see that I'm just part of this soup. As a human, my challenge as Jesse as a human being is to remember that even if I'm in this body, I'm still connected to the universe soup. That to me is the biggest challenge. So all my insecurities, I think, and my stresses have stemmed from there.
0: Hmm. It's very interesting. What do you think about the differences between men and women? Like, I found myself very surprised when you were talking about people being cerebral and I don't take that as like a positive thing just people sort of locked in their head that feels inherently masculine to me in a way that I've never thought through so I'm just super curious I don't think so
1: I think most people are completely disconnected from their bodies and to me that's what cerebral means like people who are not aware of how their body is doing what emotions are in themselves mm. there's this word interoception which is like the the ability to introspect about your internal state so if I close my eyes right now Like I feel, okay, like there's a bit of like adrenaline in my stomach, like there's energy in my legs, like I can feel everything, you know, and that took me a long time to be able to do before I was clueless. So I was just hanging out with people who were in their early 20s, who were studying, who were just like partying and studying math. I mean, I didn't have teachers to turn to who were like, let me explain to you, your body holds stuff. So if your brain does not feel good, maybe look at your body. And then I did craniosacral therapy for the first time. Say that again. Craniosacral therapy. So sacral, uh, so cranio is here. Sacrum is the base of your spine. Okay. And so craniosacral therapy is literally you lay down and this person puts their hands under your head mm-hmm. and doesn't move for an hour. What? And that, yeah, and that puts your body in a state of safety Where things can start coming out and processing. So the first time I did it, this person held my head like this, and all of a sudden I started feeling in my legs the exact same pain that I felt when I woke up from my surgery—intense burning in my sciatic nerves, intense. And then I started crying and crying. It was just stuff in my body that needed Mm -hmm. to be moved, you know. And until you feel safe,
0: touching your head do that.
1: It just made me feel safe, and it gave my body the space to process what it needed to process. That's how I see it.
0: All right, here's gonna be a super random thing. This is one of the most earth-shattering things I ever heard. This changed my thinking about life, no joke. My mom did not mean it to be this deep. But she gave me an an incredible insight that ended up influencing my marriage massively. And she said, "Uh, so that you know, women need to trust a man to have an orgasm. And I was like, what? What? That was such a bizarre statement. Mm. I was like, trust and orgasm? How could they possibly be related? And so that was one of those where I was like, wow. So when you talk about someone putting their hands on your head and you feel safe, that's such a foreign concept to me. And I don't know if that's me and other guys would be like, no, Tom, of course, that's exactly (laughs) what we feel. Or if it's like all guys in the world right now are tilting their head like a puppy going, what? That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't relate to that but that doesn't mean that it isn't fundamental and amazing
1: we don't know shit man Mm. I can't tell you exactly why it works I think the people who practice it they kind of know does it
0: matter who they are like if a stranger held your head like that would you still (laughs) feel safe
1: (laughs) no I don't think so so this was
0: someone you knew and trusted
1: no she was a practitioner that I got introduced to um, through a friend and then I did it for years actually like once a week you would just go
0: and she would hold your head for an hour would you run through the same things or would it be different every time?
1: It's literally, I have no idea. Sometimes I didn't feel anything. Sometimes something would come up and I would feel an emotion or something, but most of the time I felt nothing. Hmm. It was just a place where I felt like I could finally let my nervous system just like rest. And in that state of rest of the nervous system, stuff that was stuck, that were stuck, were able to come out and move through me, you know?
0: Do you meditate?
1: No, it doesn't really work for me.
0: Because what you're describing is exactly how I feel when I meditate, other than that it comes out of me, that I don't feel. But the sense of like totally like letting go, relaxation, my, but my nervous system.
1: For me, it's the body. So, in order to get to that state, meditation doesn't work. I need to shake or stretch or mm. ground. You know, that, that works for me. I think just my body is like really, that's what needs to be calmed. I think my, my mind is okay. It's just that, like, it's the body thing. <laughs> you know, when, you're, when you go through something stressful, you can lay down and um, put your feet against the wall and lay down on the floor and just kind of bounce off the wall. And that rocking soothes your nervous system and really flushes, like, stress out of your system. Mm. Those are the kinds of things I use a lot to move the emotion because I know that if I don't move them, then I start splitting, you know, a couple of days later. So that's what I've learned. So I'm actually doing pretty fucking good yeah, now. This I understand. Is really
0: fascinating. Okay, so uh, obviously we have a massive diet approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the, the two words, but cranial something therapy. Well, I
1: mean, that's just one thing. But I I'm didn't. just
0: trying to go through some of the things you do here. I want to see if there are more. Uh, I do shaking, bouncing, shaking. I do stretching. grounding,
1: stretching, definitely avoiding glucose spikes was the number one foundation for me. Mm-hmm. I, I journal, I sleep as much as I can, I try not to drink alcohol, um, and I spend time with people that make me feel safe and peaceful, and I sing, that really helps me. The vibration, like, oh, my
0: wife, who can't sing to save her life, sings and loves it so much, yeah. It is really interesting. It's really interesting. So you guys both need to move your bodies, though, in very different ways. I need to still my body, yeah. which is interesting. I need to be in the dark, eyes closed, mm. completely relaxed. And and this is the one thing that it sounds like woo, but there's almost certainly something to it. You're
1: like, don't worry, guys, not woo. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> what Whatever is true is true. Yeah. Please understand that if tomorrow I realize that all of the things that they're saying are accurate, I will get behind them a thousandfold and be like, I was incorrect. Mm-hmm. It, it is only that I see people suffer when trying to chase that and it isn't adding up to anything. And my gut instinct is simply that person has identified something that works for them. But in the way they explain it, they make it mystical yeah. rather than grounding it in something that somebody else can experiment with to see if it works. For me, for meditation, I can meditate in any posture, any pose, whatever. But the one where I'm like, if you'll let me cross my legs Indian style and rest my palms like, like this for people that are watching on my lap, oh my God, there's something about the energy circling. I don't know, but it feels so good. And then if it's pitch black when I do it, oh, wow. And if I really wanna to get to another level, it's pitch black already outside. And I can drape something like a t-shirt, a really soft t-shirt over my face. Yeah. <gasps> that is heavenly, <laughs> heavenly. Like that, if I'm really stressed out, that, that is a you? silver bullet. It doesn't just help me. It is a silver bullet. It is unreal. That's so what fascinating.
1: That does. If I'm really stressed out, I need to spend an hour yeah. on a rug kind of like this one and just stretch every joint in my body. Hmm. And just like move in to whatever tightness I feel and really just like, and that moves all the stress out of me.
0: So interesting. Yeah. Yeah, This is just like diet. People have got to experiment for themselves because sitting the way that I sit works for me, but my wife does. I know. Yeah. This is
1: in the same way that I think that all this glucose information, people need to know this. Like it's just basic It's basic education to feel good. Mm. To me, this is the same level as drink water and get some sunlight. Like, we need to know this. I want to also help people learn all these really easy tips, whether it's meditation and doing that, whether it's, you know, breath work or whether it's shaking, whatever. Like, we need to show people that it's not scary and it's easy and there's a scientific reason that it works. And then you can really find these tools that make you feel better. And that's what motivates me.
0: And I love that. Talk to me a little bit more about inflammation. Mm-hmm. What is inflammation? Why is it so problematic? Mm-hmm. And how do we reduce it? So,
1: you know, when you cut your hand or something, your skin, and then there's a little hole and then it gets right around the, the hole, like that's inflammation. That's your body sending a bunch of stuff to help repair the cut. Mm. So it's a state of alert. It's a state of alert that your body goes into and it's usually um, very beneficial The problem arises when inflammation is chronic, so constant, and it's just not going anywhere. That's chronic inflammation. How do we end up there? So there's a few different pathways, but what I want to say is that today, three out of five people in the world will die of an inflammation-based disease. Mm, Like heart
0: disease. Heart disease. Are you calling cancer? Yeah, cancer is
1: inflammation-based. Heart disease, Alzheimer's, cancer, type 2 diabetes, like they all Mm. have a massive inflammatory component. And for the brain, inflammation is also something that probably drives a lot of mental health symptoms, right? Mm. Because your brain is full of cells that are full of mitochondria that are very sensitive to all the stuff that can happen to them. So inflammation, lots of different things that can drive it, I mean, um, from not exercising to smoking to alcohol, whatever. But in the context of food, what happens is that if you have big glucose and fructose spikes, as I mentioned, like your mitochondria become overwhelmed. They create um, reactive oxygen species and the free radicals, and then those lead to inflammation. Too much glycation also leads to inflammation. Too much insulin also drives inflammation. So it's just, a, it's just like a, a big uh, concerto of lots of stuff that drive up inflammation. Mm-hmm. Stress drives up inflammation. Everything drives up inflammation. So the more you can reduce it, the better off you'll be. And oftentimes, it's just simple things. Exercise reduces inflammation. That's good. Enough sleep reduces inflammation. Avoiding glucose spike reduces inflammation, etc., etc.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things that when I watch people struggle, suffer, whatever, it really does come down to a few simple things that you can do that now, because I interview so many people, just seems so self-evident. But then I'll speak to people close to me and they're just like, wait, what? That has that impact? Um, Like what you were saying about ancestral fruit. It's like, guys, an apple today is not the same as an apple, you know, 50,000 years ago. And when we begin to understand all these little insults and things that we do to our body. But if you want to, like, really help yourself, it's get plenty of sleep. Mm-hmm. Savory
1: you, breakfast.
0: Savory breakfast. Veggies first. Get that fiber.
1: Moving after eating. No sugar in an empty stomach. Mm. Some vinegar if you feel like it. If it floats your boat. That will get you a long way because... If you start with a diet approach with these easy easy things, then your sleep gets better, right? So you can't just say like, okay, I'm going to sleep more. Sometimes you just can't sleep because you wake up, you have a hard time falling asleep. And if you go the glucose angle, a lot of things fall into place. It's a really good place to start. Mm. You know, that's what it is. It's a really, really good, easy, gentle, enjoyable place to start where you will feel the effects immediately. That's why it's so powerful.
0: One thing I want to get back to is fat. So I am very concerned about people that store fat. I'm also worried about people that can't store fat because I'm with you. Because
1: actually a lot, you know, fat actually also is inflammatory.
0: Exactly. Exactly, yeah. But having fat itself becomes inflammatory. Yes. So thinking of fat as an organ. Yes. So how, one, do you agree that thinking of fat as an organ is the right way to think about it, meaning that it, it will produce hormones and that thusly that organ producing hormones affects your body and can make it like fat protects itself it doesn't want to be broken down it wants to resist being burned and if it resists being burned and it's inflammatory as you begin to pack it on and you even mentioned earlier that there are some people that they're never burning fat Mm -hmm. they have so much insulin in their system which is there because of the glucose that they, you can't burn fat if you have elevated insulin levels, which you're means- you're
1: super hungry and hungry and hungry, even though you have all these reserves, right? you know, and that's a vicious cycle. And then it fucks up your hunger hormones and you're hungry all the time, but you have all these reserves. Uh, do I agree fat is an organ? I don't really like have a strong opinion about the wording. I agree that fat is something that has an impact mm-hmm. for sure. I find it unfortunate that there's so much uh, stigma around it and shame and all this kind of- you know industry around
0: having it yeah
1: this whole industry built on the fact that you know if you have cellulite on your legs like you're not worthy of a woman it's like what the fuck are you talking about guys you know this whole thing about cellulite being bad was invented in the 70s by a magazine they were like what's the next thing we can make women feel really bad about and they were like "Ooh, what about those little dimples women get on their legs and they were like cellulite if you have it you're not sexy it's like So anyway, the whole industry around it is really fucked up. Is it better to have less fat for your health? Yes, of course. But I don't like going after fat and being, if you're fat, it's bad, you should do something about it. Because I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of diet culture and all the shame surrounding it. So it's not because you lose fat that you're going to feel happier. And, you know, it's a side effect. You know, weight loss is good as a side effect. But I think the better way to go about it is to think about health and then as a consequence fat loss happens
0: yeah i sort of agree so here's my concern nature has certain results on the brain so the brain as a result of evolution for whatever reason one being lean Feels good. Yeah. Now I won't say I'm not going to push to skinny women should absolutely carry more fat and you have to be very careful because you can lose your period mm-hmm. if you get too lean. So mm-hmm. this is not a I'm not saying oh people should be fish or anything like that. But when you're in what from an evolutionary standpoint would be a quote unquote healthy weight, meaning literally from the inside out, not the outside in, but that you're a healthy weight from the inside out, uh, you're gonna feel better. Yeah. I don't want people to feel it's a moral decision because Mm. it's not like you are not a better person if you lose weight, but you will feel better from just the going back to my thing about what is true. It is true that as you get your, um, your fat in order, it will, you'll have a better hormonal profile, which will make you feel better. You will have lower inflammation Mm. You'll have more flexible metabolism. There is a thousand things that are going to be going right for you that are going to make you feel better.
1: I agree with you. I think the only thing is some people go to very unhealthy extremes and follow like detox diets and shake stuff just to lose weight. And that's really what I'm against, the industry around shaming you. You can get into
0: a death spiral. There is no doubt.
1: And so it's just how you get at it. It's not coming from shame. It's coming from desire.
0: Mm. Yeah, and look, I am well aware that people can get into really dark places pursuing sure that, you but are. I think they're already in a dark place, and mm-hmm. that just becomes the way that it manifests, not that that thing itself is the cause. Yeah. Now, man, trust me when I say I'm not downplaying the mental health crisis that I think we're going through right now, uh, that I think is wildly exacerbated by social media. Oh my God, and, I'm and, I'm and all the terrified. fake body
1: filters and stuff, yeah. and... I have a half sister and she's sixteen and just like seeing the world that she's growing up in and all the social media stuff and how she even filters her own face like yeah. on um, posting stuff, it's just like it's so toxic, man. It's really whew, that shit is scary.
0: Yeah. Mm. It is. And I'm not sure what to make of that because I am in love with virtual worlds and being able to build a virtual identity. But I'm in love with it because I know how to use it in a way that doesn't become problematic. Like you're an adult, I am an adult. I don't know. That does inoculate me in in some ways for sure. For sure. In fact, I don't know why I'm downplaying that. That's huge. And I am very glad that I did not have social media as a kid. That shit terrifies me. It's one of the reasons I'm very glad I don't have children. (laughs) Uh, But yeah so i'm super excited about what the future brings in fact that before we started rolling i told you i saw this tech demo today that was fucking unbelievable and so that kind of stuff gets me so hyphy about where we're going but at the same time i know how quickly people can get a deranged relationship with themselves technology instant access to the world's opinions it it's tough it's a lot but
1: then again everything i've built I basically built on the back of Instagram. If I didn't have Instagram to start my Gricos Goddess account three years ago, I wouldn't be here with you today. To me, it gave it gave me, first of all, feedback during three years, daily feedback from the community telling me what they like, what they didn't like, what's okay, what's triggering. Like yeah. I've just built my message and my content based on Just constant feedback. I built my content like I used to build products in Silicon Valley Mm. with constant user feedback, right? And Instagram, if that didn't exist, it just wouldn't happen. So there's amazing sides to it. But also, I decided early on to not post any of my personal life on Instagram. People don't know who my friends are, you know, where I live. Like, it's just completely separate. Mm. Because otherwise, I think it can get very, very dangerous. There's so much hate and stuff going on there. Whew. I've That's protected crazy. myself.
0: It's crazy. I can already tell you right now based on things I've said, you shouldn't read the comments on this video. because yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to because wise.
1: I used to. I used to have a Google alert that would send me an alert every time my name popped up Oof. on the internet. And Tom, I thought that it was my job. I was like, I need to see, I need to feel this pain. It's part of my progress. And I, at the end of the day, I was like, actually,
0: yeah, like this is no. Too much.
1: Yeah, it's too much. Yeah, but I don't read the comments anymore. But, getting
0: um, getting some feedback is useful, but yes. getting really unfiltered feedback is rough. It's super. Rough. I don't know that it's very helpful. No. And so I am simultaneously like you. Everything that we've done at Impact Theory is a result of social media. I could not be more grateful for it and the positive people I have encountered through social media. I'm very careful how I curate my feed. Um, But at the same time, wow, is there an underbelly that is terrifying and people can be so mean. It's crazy. And look, I I try to remember if you're throwing that kind of darkness into the world, you're in such a gnarly place. I have never once put out like a negative comment into the world. I'm like, why would you do that? Like that's just that's dark energy. I don't want to be in that energy long enough to type it. Exactly. Let alone know how it's going to end up impacting somebody's day that's so gross. But that shit is real, man.
1: It's it is real. real. It is real.
0: Now, I don't know about your Silicon Valley exploits. Oh. I only know about the glucose goddess aspect. Okay. So tell me about it.
1: So before, actually, I first wore a glucose monitor three years, four years ago because I was working in Silicon Valley and we were testing a bunch of new devices. So I worked at 23andMe for five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I so to go take you back so break my back I'm in London I'm doing a mathematics undergrad degree break my back I'm like okay I want to go into health and understand what the fuck this thing is so I studied biochemistry in grad school and then I decide I want to go to Silicon Valley because that's where the forefront of health is in my mind I was like health tech is happening there so I fall in love with 23andMe Me. I begged them for a job. They gave me an internship and I ended up staying there for five years and leading all of the sort of cutting edge like health stuff we were doing in terms of integrating new data sources, turning genetic results into action for people, Mm. translating science into understandable things, understanding how you build a product, how you work with designers, engineers, how you you know, how you prioritize features, Mm. how you get user feedback. I mean, my time there really gave me an incredibly solid base from which to then build my glucose project. Mm. It was amazing, I had the best time.
0: And now you're full-time into health.
1: It's been two years, so two years ago I left 23andMe. I actually went back last week to give a talk. It was amazing. So two years ago I left um, to dedicate myself full-time to glucose. And when I first left, because I was in Silicon Valley, and when you're in that environment, whatever idea you have, people are like, start a company, raise a million dollars, make a tech product. So I kind of was being sucked into that um, mindset of like, okay, I guess I have to build a tech company. Thankfully, my intuition or my pattern recognition software or whatever kept telling me like I just don't want to raise money like raising money feels really not like what we should be doing so after playing with this idea for six months I decided no I'm going to focus on content Mm. and then uh, a couple weeks later the woman who's now my agent saw my Instagram and said hey I think you should write a book and I want to help you and fast forward two years later you know I went from when she met me I had like 10,000 followers so I'm from 10,000 to you know over one million now this book has sold over half a million copies in four months. Damn! Throughout the world, forty languages is being translated into. Congratulations, Thanks. that's amazing. Uh, number one bestseller in six countries now. So, yeah, came a long way. It is, feels like way more than three years ago than I started. Feels like, yeah.
0: It's very impressive. Thanks, Tom. I know what it takes to build something like that. Mm. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. Where can <laughs> people follow you?
1: Uh, Instagram at Glucose Goddess. And check out Glucose Revolution, my little baby that I made with a lot of love and care.
0: And knowledge. It's, it really is amazing. It's Thank a fantastic you, book. All right, everybody. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Peace.